As we enter into the word of God, let us pray for illumination. Lift up your hearts. Let us lift them to the Lord our God. Keep, O Lord, your household, the church, in your steadfast faith and love, that through your grace we may proclaim your truth with boldness and minister with justice and compassion. For the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first reading comes from the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her animals. She has mixed her wine. She also has set her table. She has sent out her servant girls. She calls from the highest places in the town. You that are simple, turn in here. To those without sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Lay aside immaturity and live and walk in the way of insight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second lesson and the lesson for the sermon this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 51 through 58. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. And this, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Orthodox theologian Alexander Schmemann wrote a book entitled For the Life of the World. And in this book, he writes this. Man is a hungry being, but he is hungry for God. Behind all the hunger of our life is God. All desire is finally a desire for him. Our bodies know when they're hungry, don't they? They give us a pretty clear sign. Perhaps as we draw close to lunch, we're beginning to sense some of that hunger. The stomach churns and makes those funny sounds, making us turn a shade of red if others can hear it. We might get a little lightheaded, but as we become more and more hungry, the pain intensifies to the point of immobilizing us, right? And so it is with our minds, so it is with our very souls. Consider, for example, how the mind thirsts and hungers for intellectual fulfillment. We have to see in order to believe. We have to have the evidence, right? 
In some ways, we've strayed so far from St. Anselm, who was an early church father, and he said, I do not seek to understand in order to believe, but I believe in order to understand. And what is more, I believe that unless I do believe, I shall not understand. As I was preparing for the sermon, I, I heard the words of Psalm 42. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Have you ever watched deer run in the wilderness? They run and they run, and at some point, they need water. They have to stop for that reserve of strength. And so Jesus today is telling us in John 6 that he is offering something better, something more filling than simply physical bread, than manna from heaven, as the Israelites in the wilderness experienced centuries before. He had come to offer himself. And what a confusing passage, right? It's almost the folly of Christianity because people don't understand what it is to be Christian, to eat this bread and drink this wine that is the body and blood of Christ. And so it's a bit confusing for folks. Jesus' words were a test for his disciples back then, and they're still a test for us today in many ways. To believe that God's going to provide, to live in hope that God is reconciling all things in the midst of brokenness and suffering. So Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Thirst. Say that word with me. Thirst. You can almost feel it drying out your mouth when you say it, right? It's amazing how words convey what they really mean. But Jesus said, to believe in him is to never be thirsty. Now say the word quench. Quench. And notice how this saliva sort of comes from the back of your throat forward, almost rehydrating your mouths. I think it's interesting. So this is not the first time Jesus talks of himself in this manner as the living bread, the living water. Take, for example, the story a few chapters earlier in John where he meets the woman at the well. And Clarence Jordan, who was a very prophetic voice back in the day, um, retells this story back during the early kind of pre-civil rights movement, a very clear time of spiritual hunger in our nation's history. He tells the beginning of the story as though Jesus was really living in Georgia at the time. And he writes, Now, please give me a drink, Jesus says to her. Then she says to him, How come a white man like you is asking for a drink from a black woman like me? Jesus answers, If you knew God's goodness and who it is asking you for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you running water. When people drink this water, they get thirsty again. When they drink the water I give them, they'll never again get thirsty. In fact, the water I give someone becomes an inner flowing spring, bubbling over with spiritual life. It's an interesting retelling of the story to sort of bring it into the context of the time. And so Clarence Jordan, I believe, was sort of a prophetic voice 
a few decades ago. And times, of course, have changed, and things have gotten better. But in order to really get at the heart of what it means that Jesus Christ is the bread of life for those who believe in him, that we will not hunger or thirst, we must consider, I believe, Christ's three offices. And these offices are prophet, priest, and king. I certainly believe that today's text invites us to reflect on Christ's priestly office. Priests were ritualistic mediators, right? Between God and humanity, they practiced the art of sacrifice. They invited the Israelites to hold up the purity laws and codes. And sacrifices were, in essence, food, right? Being offered back up to God. And food is our most basic need before shelter before a sense of love and belonging is food. Food is love. A shared meal communicates something much deeper, right? We eat together so often, and the simple act of eating in communion and fellowship is something more. It conveys a sense of care, a deep sense of love. It can seal a business deal. It can create a memorable romantic evening. And then every day we eat together as families. And so we must continually remind ourselves, I think, what it is to eat a shared meal. It's a very sacramental act. And of course, in the Reformed tradition, we have two sacraments, one being baptism, the other being a shared meal. As we gather throughout the year around the table, and so... If we turn the pages of the Bible, okay, way back to Genesis, we find the earliest feast in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were instructed by God to eat of any food in the garden, except for the food of the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's intention for humanity was that those early human beings would offer back to God in thanksgiving what they had received. It was a pure and shameless time. Adam and Eve were, in essence, the priests of creation, blessing God continually because God had blessed them. And we know how the story unfolds, don't we? Creation turned into the fall, and now we continue to work toward redemption. We live in exile from the garden, we live in exile in four ways, I think. Exile with God, exile with, within ourselves, exile with each other, and exile with the rest of creation. Priests and religious leaders attempted to make amends within these relationships by offering sacrifices as atonement, and yet none could fully atone for the brokenness in exile, right? They were slaves in Egypt. Their homeland was Canaan. And yet they grumbled and received daily manna from heaven to re receive physical sustenance. But that wasn't quite enough. It took Jesus Christ. As John says in chapter 6, the Israelites died in the wilderness. In this world of suffering and disease and death, 
that has become sort of normal and commonplace. But even that conveys to us that it's a red flag, that it has become so normal. It's not normal. It's separation. It's destruction. It's not what God intended. And so in the person and divinity of Jesus, the priestly function was fulfilled. He was the second Adam. As Orthodox theologian Alexander Schmemann said, Christ was the perfect expression of life as God intended it. The fragmentary life of the world was gathered into his life. So what does this mean then? The word Eucharist, which is the word the Roman Catholics use, for example, for what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion, literally means thanksgiving. So when Christ offers himself back in thanksgiving, in Eucharist, as the first fruit of all creation, as the living bread, the living water, as the second Adam, we begin to understand what it means to celebrate this beloved sacrament. In John 6, 51, Christ said, I am the bread that I, the bread that I shall give is my own flesh for the life of the world. It's sort of the formula of the Lord's Supper. This is my body which is given for you. The statement that Christ is the bread of life is his declaration of thanksgiving. Nothing more needs to die except our sinful way. So I'd encourage us to move beyond thinking about hunger merely in physical terms today. To think about how our bodies are holistic. Body, mind, and spirit. All three hunger in different ways. And hunger in one can sometimes mean hunger in another. John wrote at a time that was very dualistic, that was very one side and the other, light and dark, for example, truth and falsehood. And in this passage, we encounter this dualism of body and spirit. But I think we've moved sort of back into a holistic approach. And I think about the spiritual hunger on four levels. The ones that I mentioned earlier. How we're exiled and we're hungry for God, for better and closer relationships with one another, within ourselves, and then with the rest of creation. On individual and corporate levels, I believe we're hungry. And that hunger can only be satisfied by Jesus, who said, I am the living bread. Jesus taught his disciples those famous words, right? What we call the Lord's Prayer. He reminded them how to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. John 6 reminds us to pray, give us this day our living bread, our spiritual bread. When we gather around the table, we come in communion, we come in remembrance, and we come in hope. We eat the bread and drink the cup, and we believe that Christ is spiritually present. As John Calvin that great Reformed theologian said, the bread and cup, the sacraments, are outward signs of an invisible grace. The manner in which they physically nourish us is a reminder of how it spiritually nourishes us. So this blessed sacrament keeps us grounded throughout the year. And we celebrate in Holy Communion or the Eucharist, in Thanksgiving, if you like those words, 
the way in which Christ came to satisfy the holy hunger of the world. Jesus poured himself out as a sacrifice to end all sacrifice for the life of the world. Nothing more needed to die, right? The only thing that must die is our sinful nature. So we'll always be hungry, yet as Christians we're set apart for much of the world, for our hunger is different now. It's a hunger and anticipation that Christ is coming again. It's a hunger for resurrection. Already begun in the living, dying, and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. So friends, Jesus invites us to take, eat, and drink. To hold up the holy word, the living word, which is Jesus Christ. The name Christian means little Christ's. A Christian is the one who, wherever she looks, finds Christ and rejoices in him. So take in these words today that Christ is the living bread. Digest them and share them in your strivings to imitate Christ, not only for our own good, but for the life of the world. And may the centering of peace and presence of Christ sustain us all in this life. Let us offer a prayer of blessing. Almighty and loving God, we bless you for the gift of your word, the living bread. We pray now for the grace to believe what we have heard, to live in ways that honor you above all, through Christ our Lord. Amen. we give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us all and to all people. Give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, be all honor and glory now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.